Welcome to the Only One Shot Golf Podcast. I'm Jim Gallagher, Jr. Appreciate you spending some time with us, and thanks to Steve Azar for allowing us to use his music. You can find Steve at steveazar.com. Don't forget to subscribe to wherever you get your podcast, and don't forget to get your copy of Only One Shot. That's by VJ Trollio, and that's available on Amazon. Today I have Morgan Pressel of the LPGA on the podcast, one couple times on the LPGA, including a major, had so much success as a young player, played on her first U.S. Women's Open at age 12, almost won the U.S. Women's Open at age 17. Just a, a fun person to be around. I've really enjoyed following her career, but really spending some time with her with the Golf Channel this past year. A delightful young lady, does a lot for breast cancer awareness. So uh, let's get Morgan on the phone. It's my pleasure to bring in Morgan Pressel to the podcast. Morgan, thanks so much for spending some time with us. Absolutely. We, uh, I've covered the LPGA since, I guess, 2014. Covered your uh, career, watched you play way before that. But uh, who kind of got you started playing the game, and, and who were your big influences early on? Uh, my biggest influence early on was my grandfather, who uh, was a recreational golfer, not a professional by any means. He actually played minor league baseball and, in college when he was uh, younger, but um, he just loved the game and, and got me interested in the sport. I actually come from a tennis family, so I was the first in my family to switch to playing golf. My grandfather could tell that by age seven, I was too slow to play tennis. <laughs> and so he put a golf club in my hand and said, let's try this instead. And, you know, maybe he was right. <laughs> yeah, I think he was right. Your uncle was a top 10 tennis player in the world, though. Am I not right on that? Is that correct? Yes, correct. Aaron Kirkstein's my uncle. Um, my mother was Big Ten champ at the University of Michigan, also was a teacher, taught tennis. Um, so really, my, my whole family definitely had a tennis background and then uh now almost our whole family plays golf my sister plays golf my uh, right. played golf in college my other uh another cousin of mine right now is at the university of michigan playing golf for them so <laughs> we kind of transitioned nobody in this generation of our family plays tennis but <laughs> did you did you play any did you play any other sports i mean did you play tennis some growing up or did you just fall in love i with did golf right away? i played a little bit of tennis but i really once i started playing golf um you know, when I was about eight or nine years old, I really didn't play much tennis after that. And I did a little bit of gymnastics and a little bit of swimming. But again, kind of probably while I was about 10 or 11 when I started to get really serious into golf. And I know that sounds ridiculous to be really serious into golf at uh, 10 or 11. But, you know, I was playing in a lot of local tournaments and my gran- my grandfather um, saw some potential in me and didn't, didn't want me to risk injury in other sports. So I was... Uh, I was given golf all the time. <laughs> what what attracted you to golf? What made you kind of go towards golf? Um, you know, I don't I don't really know a hundred percent in terms of. I mean, with, did I fall in love with the game at first? I think it was something that, and and I feel like all kids are like this. Like it was something that I had that I was somewhat good at, and it mm-hmm. came somewhat naturally to me. And, and not that I didn't have to work hard, but like from the first time I picked up a club, like I even looked back at this old video and I was like six years old. I didn't even know I swung back then, but my swing looks better then than it did now. <laughs> <laughs> All know, of ours did. Just, I think that just kids like to do things that, that they enjoy in, in terms of just a level of comfortability. And then 
I, I would hit on the range and other adults would be like, wow, you know, that's really good. And, and you don't know any better. You don't know if it's good or not good. But then mm-hmm. I feel like a lot of um, adults really um, encourage me to be like, oh, maybe I am kind of good at this. Maybe this is, you know, I can keep going and can keep getting better. And then, of course, you just catch the natural golf bug and the strive for endless strive for unattainable perfection. Well, yeah, <laughs> we're still trying to find it, and I don't think it's going to be found, at least not in my case, for sure. Tiger is about as close to getting that, finding it. But you mentioned gymnastics and swimming. Do you think playing and doing those, participating in those sports, helped your golf any or kind of development? Because I know there's the argument that you specialize, and, and you were so good so young, but I, I see a lot more, and we, I'm call it, you know, covering college golf. I see it both on the women's and men's side, a lot of big-time athletes from all kinds of team sports. Do you think those two – kind of helps you out some? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think anytime you can be well-balanced in your body as well, you know, especially growing up, um, if you're specifically doing one motion like a golf swing or, you know, tennis, you, you're, you can kind of become one-sided in your body or just lopsided in general. So I think as you're growing up in those really important years of your body development, it is important to, to do different things and, and play different sports and, and, especially gymnastics. I've developed tremendous flexibility from gymnastics, which helped me in my turn. I mean, I could turn for days on my golf swing, you know, that's never been an issue for me. So definitely in in those developmental years to play different sports, I think was definitely very helpful. Yeah, flexibility is such a big thing, especially you get to, as you get older. And, 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 and a lot of the people listening are kids, their parents, their college coaches, and, and, and that's one thing I, I, that's amazing how much more people work out than when I was even in my prime. Uh, Greg Norman did it, a few other guys, but not like it to the extent they do. But you mentioned young, you were really good. And I'm going to say this really slow and see if I got this age right. You qualified for the U.S. Women's Open at 12 years old? I did, yes. How the heck? I, I don't even know if I could find my golf clubs at 12 years old. I mean, it is I, funny because <laughs> now when I see young 12-year-olds, I'm like, I was, that was me. Like, that's, exactly. That's how old I was. And it's, I mean, when I was young, granted, I didn't, I mean, I didn't know what the U.S. Women's Open was. I mean, I'd watched it on TV, but I didn't really understand the scope of the event in terms of, you know, the pinnacle of our sport. And... I remember when my grandfather signed me up for the qualifier or we were going to play a practice round and I was like, Oh, what is this practice round for? And he's like, Oh, the women's open qualifier. I'm like, why am I playing in that? You know, I, I got no mm-hmm. business playing in that. He's like, Oh, just for practice, just for, you know, one day qualifier, just for experience. And, and, and that's the thing too, with kids, it's all, it's all about a learning experience, whether you have success or you don't, you know, all of those, especially in golf, uh, it's really important to learn from, you know, from every round and continue to build as a young kid. But for me, I went out and I won the qualifier. I mean, I had no expectation, obviously. And then that was kind of when my world flipped upside down. And um, it was it was kind of funny because uh, totally random, but I was going to be out of school for four out of five days that week. I had the U.S. Open qualifier on Monday, and then I had a tournament like Wednesday through the weekend and the question was like you know do we tell my school that i'm sick or that i'm actually (laughs) i'm actually doing (laughs) and i'm glad we told them that what i was actually doing because i ended up in the newspapers yeah that's a good thing you'd have been in trouble (laughs) (laughs) funny 
But what was your favorite memory when you look back? I mean, because I don't know if you were in awe because you said you just had no expectations. You were just taking it all in. But what was one of your favorite moments or a few cool moments from that uh, that week? Yeah, there were. I mean, I remember the first few was at Pine Needles. I remember just being lined with people. Um, I remember my mother being there, which was uh, very special to me because she passed mm-hmm. away a, about a little over a year later. So... Uh, for her to be able to come and watch me compete on the biggest stage was was very very special. Um, and I remember, <laughs> I remember there were rain delays, as there are in you know the south through the spring. And I remember I didn't want to leave the locker room. I just like sat in the locker room where all the other players were in player dining, and I just soaking it all in as these yeah. people who I've watched on TV and my idols and and just you know, they would talk to me and they would say hi and they, they were all so nice and, and, and probably chuckled at me a little bit. But um, I remember I remember literally not wanting to leave the locker room during those rain delays because I just, I was soaking it all in. And that was also when I kind of said to myself, you know what, this is pretty cool. This is what I want to do. Let's keep working hard. Let's keep getting better so that um, we can, I can do this, uh, you know, for my career. Yeah, that's so cool, and, and and you did. Everybody was kind, and you had a good time. You had a great experience. Sometimes those experiences can be a nightmare, but for you, it was pretty cool. And you had a great junior career. You you, you Sol, junior Solheim Cup. You've won AJGA events, continuing to continue to get better and better and better. Uh, now I got this right again. Once again, seventeen years old, Cherry Hills. You're one of the co-leaders going into the final round, and. We know what happened with Birdie Kim, but you're 17 years old and you've got a chance to win the U.S. Women's Open. Did you have a pinch me moment there or were you just so focused on what you were doing and accomplishing at such a young age? Yeah, I, did, I definitely didn't have a pinch me moment and there. I, I was very confident. I felt like I had the game to compete. I felt like, you know, I was, and I still feel that way when I see uh, young amateurs playing and a women's amateur, especially top amateurs, you know, they're entered in the field. They have just as, just because they don't have the experience doesn't mean they can't win. And I certainly had that feeling as a youngster there at the open and, and being in the final group on Sunday and being tied for the lead and, and then playing well, it was such a hard golf course. Oh my gosh. It was set up so hard. Maybe one of the hardest setups I've ever seen the rough was like if you'd hit it in the rough it was just a chip out back to the fairway and I mean the winning score was what three over par for mm-hmm. the week it was it was just brutal and I remember I putted incredibly well that week which you know putting wins U.S. Opens right it does yeah you know you, you mentioned that so many young players and and we know women mature way faster and, and they probably mature and men don't mature at all as i know in my case so. <laughs> but uh you know we just we can't get it together i got we guys we're just we're struggling with that but why why do you think there's so many young players especially on the women's side we're seeing it on the guy's side but why do you think there's so many that come out so young and have that success so early i mean that just amazes me uh, and we'll get into college because you committed to duke and ended up not going and turned pro but why why what is is there something special about it or are they just that prepared I think it's, I think it's, I mean, you hit it first on the head, the the maturity, you know, bodies are mature in a sense that they can compete with the top players in terms of strength, in terms of all those, 
um, different abilities. Then there's also just the carefree attitude of an amateur. A, mm-hmm. I have nothing to lose. I'm out here. Uh, yes, to have fun, but I mean, why not? Let's go for it. I don't have I don't have the scar tissue of you know missing putts to win tournaments and, and things that end up happening over your career as a whole. You know, they don't have that scar tissue anymore. So there's that little bit of a freeing mind of a of a rookie or a young amateur that I think, and especially, I mean, the the youth in general, you see it. We saw it when we were covering the women's am. You see it in Mm -hmm. the women's open. You know, there's just, there's this little bit of cockiness, this attitude, this uh, confidence, really. I don't even want to say cockiness, just this confidence that these young players have. And, And there's more work done these days on the mental game, on kind of off the golf course, not necessarily your mechanical, um, your mechanical um, golf swing, but more work done on the mental side, more work done on course management so that these players mm-hmm. really do come out ready to play. Yeah. The, and the, and now the information that's out there, the, the instruction, everything they're exposed to it. So young and they're playing in pro tournaments. It's so young. So they're not as intimidated. You're right. Uh, you, you did commit to Duke, but you decided to turn pro. What went into that decision to turn pro uh, and no go, not go to college uh, and, and play there? Yeah, that was a tough. That was a very tough decision for me. I was a good student. I enjoyed school. I said that I always wanted to go, even if it was just for a year. And Duke was, um, and still is, one of the very top programs in the country, and also a great education. So always somewhere that I had in my head that I wanted to go. And you know, Coach Brooks is just wonderful and has put together a great program for so many years. And that was a tough phone call. I mean to after a year after I'd committed to call him and say, you know, I really think that I want to give this a shot. And it's a hard decision. I always felt like I could go back to college. Granted, I couldn't go back and play golf in college necessarily, but you know, I felt like I could always go back to school if I needed to or wanted to later in life, but that I had a great opportunity. I had played in a few LPJ events and had done fairly well. And I just kind of felt like the time was now. My uncle actually turned pro. You know, we talk about how men don't quite mature as early. My uncle actually turned pro when he was 16 years old and still mm. holds the record to be the youngest to win an ATP tour event and when he was 16, which is just That's unheard incredible. of in yeah. men's sports. So I'd always kind of had that as, I, I, if you want to say like a role model or as an example, like my uncle didn't go to college and even though my family was tough and tough around education, they, that was okay if I was ready for it. And, you know, my grandfather and I definitely just felt like we were. It was time to make the next step. And, and I actually had decided that the week before the U.S. Open that year. So the week before I finished second in the U.S. Um, Women's Open, I'd already called Coach Brooks. And you told already him, did. Yeah, I'd already said, you know, I think I want to turn pro. And then that was even more validation for me that next week to go out and play so well and be like, you know what, maybe I did make the right decision and we'll see how it goes. Do you ever regret maybe not going to college? I mean, not, not you had a great career and we're not going to, you're not going to go back, but if you ever look back, do you ever maybe wish, well, maybe I wish I would have gone. Does that ever enter your mind? Maybe I wish I would have gone a year or two uh, to maybe experience that, but you just... I mean, like you said, you're ready. You you played those seven events, seven cuts, averaged seventy point nine six, I think it was. So I mean, you were killing it, and you were ready to go. Do you ever regret maybe 
maybe I would have liked to try it. No, that's really no good, part good of me. Good call. I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> there's no part of me. The, the only part of me that maybe thinks that is maybe I would have learned to do my laundry a little bit earlier. My grandmother spoiled me too much. <laughs> laundry for way too long. They have a laundry teaching class at Duke. I thought they only did that at some of the schools I attended. <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, I mean, you know, there's something maybe to learn to be on my own a little bit earlier Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, as a as a kid does when they go off to college. But other than that, I, like no, there's not there's no part of me that um, that regrets my decision. Well, there's no experience like life experience. I remember when my youngest two kids were traveling with us on the tour, and the teachers were go, "They're going to learn more in first and second grade with, with, out there with y'all than you'll ever learn in first and second grade." And it's those life experiences, but. You, you get through tour school. I think you were 17 when you got through. Did you have to wait till you turned 18? Because I think you tried to appeal to get that changed. But did you have to wait until you turned 18? No, I did appeal and, and um, was able to start playing right away uh, okay. this season. I was seven. I turned 18 in the middle, like in May. So right. That, uh, you know, you get that first victory, 2007, Kraft Nabisco, and it's a major. At 18 years old, uh, Lydia finally broke that record, but... I'm just looking back at it, and I've known you a while now, but I'm just like, what the heck is going on at 18? I was just trying to find my way around the parking lot at the high school, and you're <laughs> winning major championships. Take us through that week and what that was like. Just uh, that, that had to be incredible. That was a great week. That's always been one of my favorite events of the year. It's uh, just I've always loved the golf course. It was also, again, set up really tough that year. I think it's one of the highest – winning scores in the history of the ANA inspiration. So it's, it, I like, I like tough setups. <laughs> Sounds we like got it. That, we nailed that one down, but it, it, it's just a fun place. I love the area. I love the desert. We have so many friends there. So I always feel at home when I go there and you know, that week was no different. I played, that would had to, actually was the third time I had played it, I, when I was an amateur. That was my very first exemption that I received was to play in the A&A Inspiration. And I, I like jumped off my chair when I got the call from the tournament director. I'll never forget that. So it, it just always has been a special place. And then the week was tough. I remember, you know, people think like, oh, what do you remember about winning or this or that? You always remember your putts. I don't know if you feel the same way, Jim, but like I always remember the putts the big putts that I made. I made a great mm-hmm. putt for birdie on 12. I made a great par save on 15 and then a great birdie putt on 18. And then I actually had to wait because I was a couple of groups ahead of the leaders and I had to, I posted and was in the clubhouse and I remember I was on the range when I found out that I had finally won, but it was just, you know, we talk, we talk about how I felt like I putted really well at the U S open. Like putting is just so important and really what it comes down to at the end of the day to win those kinds of major championships. Yeah, absolutely. It's Solheim Cup. It's Ryder Cup. This Ryder Cup week, it's the same thing. It gets down to putting. We all, that's what's so weird. We all want to spend so much time hitting balls and working on our golf swings, and we kind of neglect short game and putting. Uh, and the ones that, what, what I've learned about the LPGA, the folks that can putt and play well from 100 yards in, they dominate. It's such an important part of the game, but yet we don't spend as much time. And it kind of leads into my question kind of why I started this podcast, but what makes an elite player or an elite golfer or athlete elite? What separates them from the rest, in your opinion? Uh, and I've asked several people that question. There's always a few uh, answers that are different, but what, what separates that elite player? That's a really good question. It's 
a tough one. I would have to say the number one thing that separates the elite player is mental toughness, mm. is the mental fortitude. It's, it goes beyond talent. It goes beyond, I mean, you see on all tours, there are some perfect golf swings that you think, how do they not play better? Or how do they not score better? How do they not win more? And then there are some very unorthodox golf swings that are efficient between the two feet in front of the ball and the two feet past the ball. So they're repetitive and consistent and able to square up the club face, but you kind of like, how does, how does that work? And how does that work so consistently? And truly it comes down to the mental toughness. It comes down, of course, to short game, of course, to having the skills, but uh, there's a lot of people who have the skills and who have the mechanical part down, but then it's being able to do it under pressure and repeat it time and time and time and time again. And I think that's the biggest difference. Yeah, that's what and it's it something all gets that's down. really not. Yeah, no, I just to say it's something that's not really taught. It's hard to teach that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and it's something... and it's that inner inner drive to be great. It's that inner drive to be great. The combination of those two things, I, I agree with you. And you said the U.S. Opens tougher the golf course to tougher. That's what separated you those weeks, and separates yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, from you, the rest you have to be the one to you have to be the one to want to wake up in the morning yeah. and. You know, even when you don't feel like or you don't have the total motivation, you still got to do it anyway. And, you know, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to every person in any sport who ever holds a trophy. You know, you see those special moments. But, I mean, think about the blood, sweat, and tears that have gone into that moment or those many moments of a very successful player. And it, they might make it look easy, but there's a lot of hard work that went on to get to that point. Exactly. I think that's what we see in a lot of the fans out there. They see the Sunday, the person getting the trophy and they're all excited and they forget about the time they put in there and just the mental grind that playing a long career, Broberg who just won over in Europe. I mean, he hasn't played well, hasn't done anything 2015. He just a disastrous, you know, six years and he wins. And when they ask him, you know, basically what it meant, he couldn't even speak. And I think those are the moments that when you look back and you said it was worth every moment sitting there hitting balls and, and to be great, you have to be a little selfish. You have to be a little, not egotistical, but you have to be a little one-sided, but you got to put the time in. It, it's, and there's so many great players and we see it LPGA, we see a PGA tour. There's the numbers are increasing uh, every, every week with so many great players in the worldwide game. And the LPGA is really a, an example of that, but you win again in Kapalua, you got several different times you've had chances to win you know, and when you look back, and I know myself, I sit back, man, I should have done this, I should have won this. Uh, that gets to be a little bit of a, t- a toll on you mentally when you get so close, you almost get over the line, and you quite can't quite get it done. What, what advice do you have for a, a young player out there that's really close, has a chance to win, hasn't quite got it over, keep trying? What advice do you have for that junior golfer or college player out there to, to keep grinding away? Yeah, well, first off, it is exhausting. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> to keep to keep being close but knocking on the door and not feeling like you're getting through and I, I mean it's I don't mean to be like super cliche but you know perseverance keep looking mm-hmm. back you know what did I do wrong learn from that and and take a moment take a moment to recognize the struggle I mean you're there and it, the fact that you're upset about the outcome shows that you want to work harder to get to that position that level wherever it is that you want so 
just keep knocking on that door. I, re- I remember, and I, it's not necessarily even in a form of winning, but I remember I was really struggling with my golf swing and I felt like I was doing better on the range. I felt, I, but I was still scoring like 76, 77. It was driving me crazy on tours and missing all these cuts. And, um, I've, I've been coming back from an injury. So it just was really struggling. And then when I least expected it, all of a sudden it kind of clicked into place. And even though you might not see all the little steps and, of course, it's very easy because it's quantitative. Like you have your number, you have the score that you shot. But the score doesn't always tell the story. So right. look back, say how can I, how can I really improve? You know, sometimes you play terrible and you shoot even, and sometimes you play great and you shoot even, and you're like, well, I gave up all these shots here, or you know, I saved all these because my short game was great. And you know, if you really go back and and with an analytical mind and not be hard on yourself, but say how can I what did I do in these situations that I can do differently in the future and how can I improve upon that? And it's minute, the difference between finishing on the top 10 and winning a golf tournament on any tour is, is infinitesimal, honestly, like it's so tiny. Mm -hmm. It's like, it's, it's just, just gotta find that little thing and it takes time it's not there's no if there was a band-aid and a quick fix and a quick answer like it would yeah. be <laughs> we'd, we'd bottle we'd be it up zillionaires. And it and <laughs> make a lot of money unfortunately there's a lot that goes into it that you have to do on your own that nobody can give to you or or i mean you can surround yourself with the right people you can surround yourself with a good team you can set yourself up for success but you just have to keep knocking down that door and with the attitude that one day it will open. Yeah, I think you free yourself up. You mentioned that earlier, that you free it up. You don't have expectations because expectations can be strangling, and it's for everybody. I know myself, I had a great year, and all of a sudden I felt like I had to play up to another level. And mentally I wasn't even focusing on what I was trying to focus on. I was more worried about how everybody else was thinking about me or why I wasn't doing this. And once you free it up, it, it makes a huge difference. But transition into what I think is what you love the most is the Solheim Cup. You were on six teams in 2007. You qualified for the first one. Uh, you're so good in the singles. Uh, and, and I think that that's just a remarkable record you've had. And what what was it about the Solheim Cup that brings the best out in you? I, I don't know. I, I've always loved the Solheim Cup. It's such an honor to play for your country, to you know wear, wear red, white, and blue and stand on the first tee and have people – you know, really cheering for you as a team. It's it's so different than what we do week in, week out on tour, you know, playing for yourself and, and, and your immediate team. But, you know, it's much more of an individual sport. It's fun to be part of a team, learn from your teammates, um, where normally maybe we wouldn't share all that much information, you know, yeah. uh, how, how we all uh, operate under the gun, but in this situation, you're kind of learning from other people up close and personal. And, and I don't know, I've always loved match play too. So, you know, winning the women's am, I've, I, yep. match play has always been one of my favorite formats in golf. I wish we played more of it. Um, so yeah, I just get in that moment and, and you just, it's like this fierceness that just slips on and maybe I needed to flip it on more somehow when I wasn't playing in the Solheim cup, but it, it, there's something about that atmosphere that really 
brings out just this additional like fire and determination. Um, that no, there's no I, question. That I yeah, Poulter and, and, and Sergio, even Savvy, all those guys, it was that passion. I mean, your record, singles, 4-2-0. and oh, and What was your favorite format? Foursomes, four balls, singles. What was your favorite format of that uh, of the Solheim Cup? Mm, my favorite format? I don't know. I guess I never really thought about that. Um, I was always a relatively, uh, you know, con- well, I wasn't the best ball striker, but I had a really good short game. And so a lot of times I was put an alternate shot or a foursome mm-hmm. because of that. Um, I, I think foursomes is just hard. It's really hard. It's hard to get into a rhythm. You know, you might be playing a different golf ball. There are so many complex levels in terms of preparation for four ball or for foursomes that is so different than four ball. You know, best ball, you can pretty much pair any couple players together and maybe contrasting styles, one that makes a lot of birdies and one that's pretty consistent, send them out there and, you know, have a good, have a good day, play well. But, uh, you know, alternate shot is just so much more mentally challenging in terms of a rhythm. You're so used to playing your own ball and, you know, you hit your tee shot and then you hit your second shot, but now you have to step away. Mm. And actually one of the hardest things about it was when we played at Glen Eagles um, in 2019, I had only played the two morning foursomes matches and I had played my partner, Marina Alex's ball. That was just the plan. And the holes that I played, I hit less approach shots. Marina was a better ball striker, hit more approach shots and I hit more pots. So I got out on the golf course on the single Sunday and I had no feel for how my golf ball would react into greens because I had hardly hit approach shots into those greens, and then I hadn't played my own golf ball either. So that was flipping that switch, actually, from alternate shot to singles was, was a challenge. Wow, that is a great – I never thought about that. And plus there's timing in that, because you may hit a ball, and then you don't hit one for 10 or 15 minutes. Then you hit it again. It's just, You never do get in a rhythm in foursomes, but to me – it was, the, and, and I think you mentally, it made, it made you challenge yourself a little bit more. It was such a challenge to play it. I loved it. I only got to do it in the President's Cup. I didn't get to do it in the Ryder Cup. Just played four ball there. But, you know, when you look how the Solheim Cups evolved over the years from when you first started to now and, and standing on that first tee and now all the singing and now people want to cheer when you're hitting it and they want you to be cheering when they're hitting it. I mean, what are the nerves like? Describe the nerves for everybody out there. I know what they're like for me. But tell, describe the nerves. For me, it's I couldn't get my my right hand was shaking so bad I couldn't get the ball on the tee, and I grabbed it with my left, and it was shaking. I was like, man, I just got to get out of here. I said, can I call a timeout? You know, it's just. But describe the nerves on that first tee in your words. Nothing quite like. Uh, uh, no, so, so what I was going back to is that the first. Um, I think it was in the first Solheim Cup. I remember Joanne Carner was there and talking to us in the team room, and she's like, you know. We used to put chapstick on our teeth so that our mouth wouldn't, so our lips wouldn't stick to our really? teeth. That's how dry they felt that their mouth was. Which, oh. I mean, if if that doesn't explain how you know the best players in the world feel on the first tee of a Solheim Cup, a Ryder Cup, a Presidents Cup, whatever it may be, I remember I was planning to hit the first shot in, or I was. Julie sent Paula and I out first to hit the first shot in Germany. And then I was odd. So I got the, I was good. You know, that's when you're like an alternate shot and you're like, okay, partner, you see off on odd holes. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I had to sleep hitting the 
all night I had the worst dreams about hitting the very first shot and that was the first shot of the whole Solheim Cup because we were first match out and oh my gosh my dreams I dreamed that I missed the ball I dreamed that I hit it there was a hazard right like way <laughs> right I dreamed that I like hit it I run it's not even a dream it's a nightmare like how far right I hit it into the yeah. hazard oh I had all of these crazy thoughts in my head I could hardly sleep and then when I got on the tee I drop kicked it a little bit. I hit, <laughs> I was shaking so bad. I hit the ground first and ended up in the left or one bunker. And I was like, oh my God, thank God. That was like the best thing that could have happened from all my, from all my nightmares. Yeah, I didn't. And then, and then we ended up winning the hole. We, we had to lay up and uh, we, we won the hole. But, you know, sometimes just getting off that first tee, we saw it. A couple weeks ago, you see so many uncharacteristic shots on mm-hmm. the first hole that even though it might not be that interesting of a hole or that challenging of a hole, like the first hole at Inverness, I don't think I don't think was. And but yet we saw some crazy shots just because the pressure of the first yeah. hole. What did you learn about yourself? What's the biggest thing you learned about yourself during those Solheim cuts? Oh, I just. I think that you know you just continue to show yourself that you do have the fight and the drive and the never give up and um, you know when Marina and Alex and I were I think four down after six or seven holes in Scotland and we came back to win the match two and one you know never give up never give up on yourself never give up on your partner fight till the end and that anything out there is possible so I think those are those were all good lessons to learn. Yeah. That's a, that's good lessons for just regular play too. I think that's as just in general for kids out there playing things are going south. You just got to keep trying to go forward, but you're still young. And I saw you, you got the microphone out last fall and I'm going like, what is she doing? And now you're kind of transitioning into, into being a golf analyst with NBC golf channel. Uh, what, what made you decide to maybe try that uh, and get into. I just want to spend side. more time with you, Jim. <laughs> Is that what it was? Wow, that was it. That, you know, I've never heard that. My wife doesn't even say that. Uh, you know, it was something that I've always been interested in. Um, I've done, a, I did a little bit, a couple of events with Fox, um, a couple of the USJ events. That's right. Mm-hmm. So enjoyed kind of learning more about the process. Uh, you know, as golf fans, we all watch golf on TV, but most people have absolutely zero idea of everything that goes on behind the scenes to bring that broadcast to your television at home and be able to showcase the great golf that we see. It's, it's so interesting. And even now, like, you know, someone comes and sits in the booth and listens to the producer in your ear, like, you know, they're even like, wow, that was really cool. And so just learning, learning all, all the processes that go on behind it have been uh, just really awesome. Of course, their team at NBC Sports Golf Channel has been wonderful to work with. Everybody's been really kind and helpful because, I, you know, I, I didn't go to school for communications or broadcasting or anything like that. So I'm kind of learning on the fly, um, just, you know, talking about golf, talking about what I, what I, what I do know, <laughs> what I have studied my whole life is golf. Yeah, well, welcome to my world because my training is here's the mic, go talk, and I go, huh, and go, you know, and then they put me in the studio, go talk to that red light. And I said, okay, <laughs> I'll do it, you know. But, 
But you're right. You know, you hear voices. I think having four kids made my transition really easy because I've got producer in my ear. I've got other program in my ear. It's like having four kids <laughs> arguing at the same time. You just, you know, and I had voices playing, so it was just pretty simple uh, transition uh, for me. But what's what's been probably the biggest transition part of transitioning? Because you're friends still. You're still you still play. You're friends with these folks. What's been the toughest challenge being now that analyst? When your friends are playing and people that you know, what's been the biggest challenge for you? And how do you separate when you're calling golf and being a Yeah, I, I think that is hard. I think that, I mean, at the end of the day, I, I want to be fair and honest. And as a golfer myself, I know when I've hit a poor shot. I know, I know when I, I can call a poor shot to myself or, you know, that was a poor stroke or, or a poor decision. And we've all made them before. And I've certainly made more than my fair share of those. So just recognizing that and, and explaining that in in a way that the viewer understands that wasn't really what the player was trying to do and, or the, you know, they're upset about it too. And also realizing that golf is hard and it's not, it's yeah. not that easy. You know, you have, you might have a big lead or, you know, coming down the stretch and, and we talked about the nerves in the first tee of the Solheim cup. You know, you feel those nerves when you're under pressure to win a major championship coming down the last few holes. It's tough. And it's that mental toughness and that fortitude and, and how, so, you know, really explaining to the viewer what the player is going through, what the player is feeling in those moments. And, then how do they translate that? I've always always felt that just because you're nervous doesn't mean you're necessarily going to hit a bad shot, right? Otherwise, we'd see a lot of bad shots around the golf no. course. But because players are nervous, but you know, it's really it's just fun to watch those spectacular moments of great play under pressure where players are able to pull off pull off the shot. It's it's just very special. You know, Patrick Harrington said, you know, when you're nervous on the first tee and you can't even figure out what's going on and all of a sudden you get over the ball and you're like uber focused. And in reverse of that, when you're not nervous and then you get over the ball, you're like, oh, you panic. So I think it's a lot too that I think when you're nervous like that, you just kind of focus in. And I am amazed at the level of, of playing at both the Solheim Cup and, and Ryder Cup and the, under that pressure and how well they do. But, you know, we're seeing a lot more women and, and young girls playing the game. How do we continue to keep that momentum going? How do we keep getting girls – involved in junior golf with their parents and everything how do we get them started and, and what advice do you have for maybe the parents and kids listening to, to kind of get their kids started in this course? I mean, it's been oh my gosh 20 25 years now since I got into the game but there were no junior programs like they are now you know there's there's a lot of opportunities for young kids especially LPGA USGA girls golf you have the first tee you have the uh, PGA junior league there are so many it's encouraged for young kids to play golf now where, where it really wasn't when I was starting. I was the only um, really young girl. Yes, I played in some junior tournaments with other people from around the area, but, you know, it wasn't like there were real organized groups um, for, young, for young girls like there are now, which I think is really important because, you know, making it more of a community for these young players makes them more inclined to return and say, Hey dad, can you take me, you know, to golf camp this weekend? Or, you know, then it becomes them wanting to go. And that's really, 
I think, the key. Mm -hmm. Instead of every child needs a little bit of a push. They need help, and they certainly need transportation and, uh, you know, the means to be able to maybe get a set of clubs or, or whatever it is. But you really want the kid to fall in love with it because that's how they're going to stay in for the long haul. Yeah, I think that's true. I mean, it's it's great time for parents to spend some time with their kids. I think you hit something really well there. My son was a, wanted to be around his friends in PGA Junior League and, and, and things like that that have teams now. That's encouraging to someone like that who, more like me, I was kind of a lone wolf. I didn't mind being out there by myself and playing. But uh, you're right. I think that's how we got to keep it growing. But you mentioned your mom and your big-time cancer, breast cancer awareness. Tell us a little bit about your work and and some of the things you're going through and how folks out there can help uh, be a little bit more aware of those things. Yeah, we, um, I lost my mother when I was in, in 2004 to breast cancer, excuse me, 2003. And, um, you know, it was a tough time for my sister, my brother and I. My sister is uh, three years younger than me. My brother is five years younger than me. We were at really those developmental, influential stages of childhood and it was a tough thing definitely for our family to go through and you know once I'd always known that I wanted to do something I didn't quite know what but uh, shortly after I turned pro um, I live in St. Andrews Country Club in Boca Raton Florida and a group of friends and uh, members here at the club kind of got together and said well what can we do what can we do to honor uh, my mother and also help those who are struggling uh, with breast cancer or will potentially be struggling with breast cancer here in the near future, what can we do to make their lives easier? And so we started a fundraiser and it kind of has snowballed from there. We've uh, in the last 15 years been able to raise nearly uh, $10 million. So a lot of it, yeah, we've been, we've had um, just incredible support, especially here. Um, from St. Andrews Country Club. We also have uh, an event at Banyan Golf Club in West Palm, and we're going to have our first event here uh, next week, actually, at Woodmont in uh, Maryland. So it's it's just really amazing to see the support that we've gotten, both from uh, different clubs as well as, as well as the players on tour who come and really entertain our guests and, and help us raise a lot of money. So I'm totally indebted to the the players who give up their time, and it really is a special family of players on on all tours in golf, especially. It's just uh, such a philanthropic mindset that all the players have, and I, I'm so grateful that so many choose to spend their time with us. And over the last 15 years, we've we have a couple of really big projects. We have a mobile mammography van here. Most of all of it is based so far right here in South Florida. So we have a mobile mammography unit that travels all over South Florida, making uh, state-of-the-art digital mammography accessible, convenient, not intimidating, um, all of those sorts of things. We have a genetic testing center as well, and we work with um, Sylvester Cancer Center in Miami on a drug research program. So we have kind of a lot of balls up in the air, but one of our biggest things that we love to promote is early detection. That's why we had the mobile mammography unit. That's why we have a genetic testing center, because if we can find out early, as early as humanly possible, that gives you your best chance of survival. So any way that we can encourage people to 
go get their yearly mammogram, get their first mammogram. You know, sometimes that first one is just as intimidating as any of them. And, you know, if you do have a family history, get uh, reach out, get genetic testing to see if maybe there's something that you could do even before you get a breast cancer or ovarian, or we can actually test for over 40 types of cancers now through the genetic test, which is awesome. So, I mean, yes, drug research is, we certainly support that. And it's, it's just, it's going to take a lot longer to get to the patients than, um, you know, early detection method does. Well, we can't thank you enough for spending some time with you. And I always like to end the podcast. Uh, remember, whether in life or golf, you may have only one shot. you got to make a count. You're definitely making a count there with the folks out there with the early detection and, and the awareness of the breast cancer out there and getting that early detection is a big part of kind of curing that uh, terrible disease of part of our family. But it's been fun catching up with you, fun to catch back. Man, I can't believe you're so good so young and you're still good. Please don't quit playing. But please keep <laughs> working because I love working with you. Uh, I love to get make you laugh. That's my key thing during the telecast. If I can get you to laugh, and you're and you're good it. at that. Appreciate you spending the time <laughs> Thank with you, us. Jim. I'm in a hurry, one hell of a hurry, 'cause I know you're there waiting to see me. Oh, the old muddy water, cautious, cause mighty water, well, I was baptized. Trouble